Hello and welcome to the Mind Body Free Podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Moss, and today I'm getting to speak with Nick Lawfrey. Nick helps people attain their ideal mental and physical well-being through a bioenergetic toolkit. His work began with himself when he underwent the spiritual initiation of schizophrenia and subsequent health issues created by medication. He now helps thousands of people through his online courses, videos, and instructor certificates to achieve the same level of seemingly impossible healing. I found Nick through YouTube uh, on one of his Qigong videos, which was fantastic, and he's got a ton of videos on there, so I highly recommend checking him out. All the notes, uh, the links are going to be in the show notes after the show. So, Nick, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. How are you? Pretty good. It's always funny. I, I never uh, just copy paste my bio. I like always rewrite it every time somebody asks me for my bio. And so I'm, a, I do that I'm, too. A, I'm always like surprised every time I hear it read back to me. I'm like, oh, is that what I wrote this time? <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're honest about that. I do the same thing. I feel like it's like this continuous evolution and how you feel that day and where you're going and the direction you're yeah. moving. Yeah, I always just assume whatever ones I wrote in the past just were awful. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> So can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do? You mentioned you kind of help people through a bioenergetic toolkit. So what does bioenergetic mean? Uh, you know, so mostly just a way of uh, making chi sound palatable to uh, West, Western, <laughs> Western minds, I guess. Um, but it's also partly uh, a lot of my exploration uh, recently over the last couple of years has been into how actually there is a materialist science uh, behind the energy of the body. And it's not like super well known. So you re- I really had to dig for it for a long time before I found somebody who really was actually putting forth a like complete theory of bioenergy that had practical applications and seemed to actually be valid. There's a lot of people, you know, people try to westernize chi and Chinese medicine and stuff like that. And they'll, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, quantum physics and, you know, quantum physics has these really it's almost like esoteric. It's so difficult to understand what people are trying, what scientists are trying to say with quantum Mm -hmm. physics that you can practically take anything they say and extrapolate it to be proof of whatever spiritual thing you're talking about. Right. So so I was really dissatisfied with most of the like Westernized versions of like theories of chi or things like that until I, I was just because I'd been in the world of nutrition a long time. I'd been kind of trying to figure out how to fix myself. I had a lot of, like physical health problems after my mental health problems because of the medications I took. And so I went through, you know, every like dietary philosophy. I was, you know, did the keto, I did the raw vegan, I did the paleo, I did, I did all of it, you know, every de- every detox you can imagine. And, and eventually I stumbled into this, the weird, weird world of a guy named Raymond Pete. Um, and he's a, like a biologist. He's like 85 years old now. Um, so he's been teaching about this stuff for a long time. But he basically, instead of coming into medicine from the, you know, a medical school or um, like a nutrition school, he came to it straight out of like just pure science, right? And so he'd been studying biophysics and biochemistry and everything. And and he was just very getting dissatisfied with the status quo that he was seeing in science and then was noticing medicine was doing a lot of weird stuff uh, based on that. And so he basically built on the work of um, a few old scientists who are dead now, like Otto Warburg and Hans Selye. Dr. Broda Barnes, um, who'd been basically, uh, you know, all inadvertently working in their own worlds, coming up with these theories of how energy and energy flow is what really runs the body. And so Ray Pete basically took these ideas and built them into something more practical, like how would you actually eat if you wanted to follow this? What supplements would you take if you believed this about the human body? And so instead of like the what's usually the way the human body is looked at is like very like structural, mechanistic, and that's typically the criticism that we have when we're coming from the Chinese medicine lens and we look at the Western medicine lens and it's like, oh, you guys just see everything as like a car, you know, just little moving parts and particles and everything. You know, in physics, they would say like, we can look at the same particle like a photon and it can be a particle or a wave depending how you look at it, right? But most of medicine and biology is still on the kind of particle part of biology, I guess, and how, how we view the body. And so these guys were sort of getting more into the wave of like how to view um, the body. So instead of just structure, it's energy and structure and how these two inform each other. The energy maintains the structure, the structure produces the energy. And as I'm here, as I started learning from this guy's method, I, I just kept realizing more and more, like he's basically just describing Chinese medicine, having never come across Chinese medicine. And that's what made me kind of give him a chance. Like, 
he was saying a lot of weird things that I, I, I was like, there's no way this is true. Like he thought uh, serotonin was actually a stress chemical. It wasn't a happiness chemical. He thought it was like a, a bit of a conspiracy on the part of the pharmaceutical companies. They just needed a new thing to blame for depression so they could patent another drug for 20 years, you know? And around the same time, people, it was in the 60s, people were using uh, LSD and psilocybin and stuff. And those actually block uh, the serotonin receptors. And so he thinks that it was kind of a, a collaboration. The government wanted to make serotonin look really good because LSD made serotonin look kind of bad, you know? So, <laughs> so <laughs> they got, and then the, seroton the uh, drug companies, their antidepressants they were using at the time, this is a bit of a tangent, but the antidepressants they were using at the time were actually MAOI inhibitors, the same thing that you take when you take ayahuasca, the, D, the DMT drug. Mm -hmm. You have to take an MAOI, an M MAO inhibitor, in order to actually have the DMT stay in your system. And that was actually the original antidepressants up until the 1960s. We were, we were taking that half of ayahuasca basically as a pill to cure depression. Um, but in the 1960s, the patent ran out, and so they wouldn't be making any money off it anymore because all the generic brands would would take it over. And so they needed a new, whole new theory of what causes depression so that they could sell a new drug. And they came out with this uh, deficient serotonin theory. Anyway, so this guy, see, this guy thinks it's a bunch of BS so that serotonin can actually cause a lot of mental health problems. And, and I thought that was crazy. And the only reason I gave any of stuff a chance is because his underlying theory was like basically just Western Chinese medicine. And so his other theory was just, just like what my teacher always says in Qigong, when you're stress lowers energy production. Like we tend to think in the West, like, oh, stress is good for me. It makes me productive, right? I'd be, I'd be so useless if I didn't have my stress pushing me all the time. But he says, your stress is a backup system. You don't want your stress being your main motivational sort of drive. Mm -hmm. That's like your backup system. That's why we wind up getting cancer and things like that. It's, this, it's not natural to the body to be having stress as a source of energy all the time. And so he actually thinks when the stress is low, you have a, a higher energy and a better quality energy. And when the energy is high, you actually have lower stress. And he explains this all in terms of hormones and everything. But he's essentially saying the exact same thing I've heard for years and years in Qigong and Chinese medicine and everything. So I gave him a chance with the serotonin thing and uh, did a bunch of stuff he said to lower my serotonin. And I got to say, like, it has a huge benefit on my mental health. I can totally track, like, oh, I stopped doing those serotonin lowering things. And now oh, I'm starting to get a little depressed, starting to get a little more anxious than I usually am. And it's just amazing how... Uh, the mainstream can just be totally flipped on its head and it can be completely opposite for something we've been doing for 50 years and it can work. Wow. Anyways, did you have a question? I don't remember what your question was. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Why do I call myself bioenergetic health? It's because that's, that's, uh, that's actually the name for like this school of thought is like the bioenergetic theory of health. And so I thought I would apply that to Qigong and stuff. It was a loaded question, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so interesting. And as someone who has done ayahuasca and still uses psilocybin. Like yeah. I find it helps my mental health quite a bit. Um, with ayahuasca, it's definitely like, I don't know the chemical. I haven't, I haven't experienced a chemical serotonin exploration and lowering that to create happiness. But I wonder, it's, it, it's interesting kind of how you mentioned, you know, we use more energy when we are stressed. I wonder if the serotonin release is a response to that stress and what you're doing by lowering it is also affecting the cause of why your body felt the need to release it mm. i don't know i'm just exploring but i think it's really fascinating yeah <laughs> yeah here's a, here's a really weird fact is um you know how uh you know where locusts come from mm. you know the swarm like a nope. swarm of locusts right like in the bible and stuff right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, oh yeah the history, so locusts yeah. are actually just grasshoppers and it's just when grasshoppers get super stressed because they don't have enough food in their environment or things like that then they transform into locusts instead of instead of being yeah, instead of being a peaceful solitary grasshopper they swarm together they form a, a mob and they go they go and riot and they literally physically transform they get they grow spikes they look more aggressive they act <laughs> they act more aggressive they become cannibal it's like cannibalistic. something that's in an anime movie but it's, it's real, real life, life. <laughs> and the chemical that drives their transformation from grasshopper to locust is serotonin that's so Isn't fascinating, that fascinating? Huh. <laughs> i love when uh, species will transform like that i forget the term for it but i know like candida mm -hmm. it's a yeast that's all like a, you know a harmless yeast imbalance but then with stress and you know toxins and the wrong environment it transforms itself into a fungus oh. And then spreads throughout the body. So it's so interesting that, and then stress is always the the factor, the contributing factor oh, there. Interesting. 
those yeah we're, that's so interesting huh well it makes sense that a you know a plague of quote-unquote a plague of locusts is obviously there's not great things happening in that time of all these grasshoppers are getting stressed and starting to swarm every yeah and eat, and eat, eat each other and stuff <laughs> yeah oh god yeah it sounds very fitting in that bible story yeah <laughs> um all right so you went on quite this journey and you you went on a big mental health journey so it sounds like you integrated a lot of these lessons on yourself oh yeah and really seeing experientially what worked and what didn't work yep <laughs> it was uh it definitely felt like uh like uh un 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 what is that untrodden trail or whatever you know it was it was like i'm like i'm like seven yeah i'm like 17 and i have psychosis and the doctors are just like oh just take these pills and i'm like is there anything else i should do and they're like no no just the pills and i'm like yeah i'm like like, have you heard of meditation i I just heard about this meditation thing should i do that and they're like don't worry about it just take the pills and (laughs) (laughs) it's it's sad it's such a loss for the ability to help people with this kind of thing it's interesting like in the shamanic perspective uh mental illness and you know schizophrenia especially would be seen as a healer trying to be born Mm. where you're accessing kind of these different dimensions and perceptions and states of being that are in like a really low frequency you have this innate gift to perceive this stuff but there's a lot of healing that needs to happen to clear away that darkness and make it feel like a gift and not a burden yeah i was really lucky i'd read a book on shamanism like right before i or right as i was like going into psychosis or something so i kind of had that mental frame like already kind of made for me and yeah if it were for that i think it would be a lot harder to get through because you you think about it just as something you're fighting instead of something you're integrating or surrendering into Mm -hmm. things like that yeah yeah you're not broken you're just going through an initiation like you said and you're yeah i think that's part of it yeah Yeah, actually when when i was actually able to relax in it because a big part of it was just constant paranoia so yeah. there's like the hallucination part and delusion part, but then there's just like, it's totally paranoid and full of fear all the time. And uh, when I was able to let go of the paranoia and fear part, the hallucination delusion part would sort of, instead of being like all this crazy stuff my mind was trying to convince me of, it became um, actually like holy visions. Like I would, I knew nothing, I knew yes. nothing about Hinduism, but for whatever reason, I was having uh, visions of like Hindu gods all the time. <laughs> I'd be, if I could actually relax, like my chakras would open and, these gods would come visit me. They wouldn't say anything. It would just be more of those, like this visual um, art almost that was like reshaping my energy body or something like that. Amazing. But I kind of, I kind of miss it now because I, I, num- I numbed it a little too <laughs> too much with the medication. Oh. And now I'm like, oh, I wish I could just <laughs> relax at night and hang out with gods and stuff. <laughs> oh, well, I can help you with that. We can talk about that. That's what I do. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I had a friend, or not friend, she's a friend now, but I had a student I worked with for a year. And she had um, schizophrenia and she, you know, grew up as early as she could remember seeing demons all around oh, her wow. and just like ter- terrifying. Um, and so we did a lot of healing on the traumas and like the layers of traumas. There's there's a lot to release. And as we released mm-hmm. it layer by layer, she started seeing angels oh. and she started seeing the demons as these misguided energies and learning how to work with them and heal oh, them. Wow. And now she's an incredibly powerful healer. It's been amazing to watch her grow into herself and realize this. That's but so cool. I feel like. I also have an uncle with schizophrenia and he, it didn't go that direction because he didn't have anyone to support him in that journey. And like you had this intuition and this will to, you know, move into this stuff, which is beautiful. But I feel like if more people had the right support, we have a lot more healers in the world than like, you know, people who are still being tormented by this stuff. But, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny, I think it's a funny <laughs> thing in uh, the West where, you know, our, our history in Europe is like the church and the scientists were like, they hated each other, right? Because the church was like, we, mm-hmm. not only do we own spiritual truth, we own objective truth, right? No, they wanted to win so everything. They, yeah, they like kind of over, <laughs> overstepped their bounds with their like field of expertise. And so the people who were trying to discover objective truth in the physical world were like totally at odds with them. And so we've developed a culture, you know, hundreds of years later, we're still in this culture where, you know, if you're a scientist, if you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever, like you're expected to think a certain way, like demons aren't real, angels aren't real, psychic abilities aren't real. Like anybody who thinks these things has to be delusional. Like I'm sure some people are just like hallucinating, but probably a lot of people are hallucinating. But I think there's a lot of this, like in my experience with, my, with what I went through, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I really had real experiences of like supernatural phenomena. And you tell the psychiatrist about that. And I wasn't integrating it well. That's what I was super paranoid. 
So they go to a psychiatrist and they're just like, oh, supernatural phenomena, schizophrenic. Like, <laughs> you're just crazy. And yeah, it's like, yeah. I'm like trying to do experiments with them and everything. Like, let's see if this is real. And they, they literally have like no patience for that at all. Yeah, because it's, it's not aligned with the belief system, right? It's yeah. like, it's been against the the popular ideology. And I'm even popular. It was illegal to explore that stuff. Is for that what time. it was? Because, uh well, I mean, back in like the pagan oh, days, okay, like those days yeah. Christian colonialism, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was illegal to practice other forms of spirituality and kind of commune with spirits. Yeah. And then eventually became just kind of demonized in the media and, oh, it's not real. It's all false. And then there's, like you mentioned, that materialist perspective yeah. of this is what's real, only what we can measure. Yeah. They're like the new church. <laughs> it's so it's so funny. Yeah. I, like this, this always happens. There's like a group that's like persecuted and then they finally they they win the day and now they're the most powerful group and then they're just persecuted <laughs> humans, humans are so ridiculous like that we'll find balance someday yeah. i think um yeah perspective is good and i like what you're doing that you're kind of bridging these two worlds of science and energy and chinese medicine which you know chinese medicine i think can seem as like it can appear as kind of woo and like what what are you talking about like yeah. um i know when when we were taught they told us that you know, Western medicine sees the body like a machine, which can be useful sometimes. Like if I break my arm, great, I will happily go see a Western yeah. doctor. Um, but Chinese medicine sees the body like a garden. So we have to pull out the weeds. We have to balance the elements and the nutrients and plant the good seeds. And it's such a different, totally different paradigm and way of seeing things and working yeah. through things. And uses a lot of metaphor. And West, I think the Western mind is so literal when you hear the metaphor, like, oh, dampness or uh you know damp heat mm -hmm. or things like that and um we talk about blood in chinese medicine but we don't really always mean blood you know it's like this kind of like blood mm -hmm. you know it's like spiritual blood yeah. you know? i was like what does that mean <laughs> so when the western mind hears it they think they're like really hearing like oh there's dampness so, like there's like a buildup of fluid somewhere it's like well sometimes we mean that but sometimes it's like this thing it's like, <laughs> so like it's very it's like it's like the the chinese don't really like separate like metaphor and literal like literal reality in a lot of the ways they talk or the way Chinese medicine talks. Yep. So I think it's very confusing to the Western mind. So we just, it's easier to just classify it as woo-woo, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's its more of like that that soft kind of flowing abstract concepts way of seeing things, which I love personally, but I can see it also being infuriating <laughs> <laughs> if you're used to being able to like clearly define things. Um, so you were struggling with these mental health issues when you were 17, mm -hmm. which is really early on. I mean, not uncommon as a teenager, but that's tough. What was it like moving through that? Uh, just kind of terrifying all the time, <laughs> for the most part, and then uh, and then really amazing at some points, like I like I mentioned, kind of spiritual, energetic experiences. Um, um, but for the most part, yeah, I just mostly just sucked all the time. <laughs> and then uh, and then the medication like sucked almost as bad. It, like it didn't suck as bad, so it was like worth taking, I guess. It felt worth taking at the time. Um, but it was just like the opposite problem. Like you, I went from like in the psychotic state, it was like, I was like, everything was so open energetically. It was like all, like all boundaries had dissolved and that just <laughs> was like terrifying. And then with the pills, it was like the opposite. I got like numb and I got fat and I got just full of mucus and skin inflammation and pimples and <laughs> um, just like the total opposite problem. Like instead of being like super anxious and fearful all the time, it's like, I'm like depressed and brain fog all the time. And mm -hmm. So yeah, mostly it was just super lame, but uh, gradually over the years, like learning new different things, getting into meditation and yoga and nutrition and Qigong. And I wouldn't have put so much effort into those things and gotten as much out of them if I hadn't been in so much pain. So the first tool I tried to implement was meditation. Um, a friend of mine and, and had gotten me a, a book on meditate on Buddhist meditation and while I was in the mental hospital. And so I read that in the hospital. And then when I got out, I practiced every day and it was kind of, it wasn't really an instructional book. It was a story of, it was like a fictional story, I believe, of the Buddha. So instead of his actual story of attaining enlightenment, I think it was like a fictional version that was meant, meant to read like a novel. But in this version, mm -hmm. he gains enlightenment by sitting next to a river and just listening to the sound of the river. Um, and that was like the thing he focused on was just that sound. And that was his like meditation technique. And so I was like, well, that's the only way I know how to meditate. So I'll do that. And so I went to this river near my parents' house like every day. For like literally three or four hours every day and like the me now would never do that <laughs> way too uncomfortable <laughs> i'll do that for like a week I'll, I'll do that for like a retreat but i did this for like six months straight 
and I'd sit on these like really uncomfortable rocks in a very uncomfortable body. I hadn't done yoga or anything yet. So my body just really doesn't like sitting like that and stuff. And I'll just force my mind like over and over again onto the sound of the river. And I got nothing out of it, nothing out of it for six months. I didn't feel more relaxed. I didn't feel more peaceful, more spiritual, nothing. Until like finally, one, like on the sixth month or whatever, I'm sitting there and I put my mind on the river and it finally actually stays. It doesn't wander off. It doesn't mm. go and listen to whatever voices are in my head. If you, if you think meditating is hard with just your voice in your head, you should try it with a whole bunch of voices in your head. <laughs> but I finally get my mind to stay on this river. It, and it, I don't even think it was that long. It was like 30 seconds, maybe a minute tops where my mind was just dead silent, just hearing the river. And uh, the way I think about it is, I guess my conscious mind, because my conscious mind was so empty of thought in that moment, my unconscious was mm -hmm. able to come out. And so all like the inner conflict I had that was sort of driving the psychosis, the fearful part of the psychosis, <clears throat> basically just everything I hated about myself. I had really low self-esteem and social anxiety and stuff uh, growing up. So it was just like every, everything in me that I hated came out as like one archetype, like a mask of a demon, um, just like mm -hmm. displaying in like vivid, horrifying detail. Like this is everything you hate about yourself. But instead of seeing it as a mask of like someone else, it was just like, this is you and believing it for a split second and that fear of like, oh no. And then the mask comes off and I'm looking at it as what it was. It was just a mask. And underneath that, seeing who I really am, someone basically a kid worthy of love and worthy, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then I just basically just cried for like 20 minutes and just snot just pouring out of me into this river. And, uh, I'd like to say like, oh, after that moment, like I was healed and the psychosis was gone and not at all. It was just like, it was like, you know, 1% of the burden just lifted, you know, just a little glimpse into like, oh, because I, I, I really had a feeling when I was going through it that a lot of this psychosis was driven by my insecurity, by times I got bullied, by things like that. And that I had this like unconscious trauma in me and that the psychosis wasn't just random because all my friends were doing all the same drugs and all the crap I was doing and they weren't psychotic. So I figured there's probably there's something in me that needs to come out. And that kind of verified it for me when I had that experience. But uh, I suppose my point to your question was I, I would probably would not have pushed myself that hard for that long to get that if I wasn't in such an immense amount of pain with no other options. Right. So mm -hmm. for that, in that way, I'm grateful for it. hundred percent. I, I mean, that's what I think so many people's stories, it starts with pain. And that's a motivator because why else would we bother to do the work? Yeah. <laughs> it's work. <laughs> I really want it. I'm impressed that you did that for six months, not feeling like you were getting anywhere, but kept going back. It takes a lot of faith. Yeah, I don't know why I did. <laughs> I think I just, I, I think I just really trust the, the Buddhists because uh, before, before I went psychotic, I'd been using psychedelic drugs and having really amazing experiences on them and experiencing, you know, like the non-self and all the things that the Buddhists preach about enlightenment and then going without having read their text. So I experienced that first and then went and kind of got into Buddhism and I was reading their stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is exactly like what I experienced. So these guys must be on to something. And so I think because of that sort of thing, I had a lot of trust in what they had to say about how the mind works and stuff. So Good friend giving you that book. Made a huge oh, yeah. difference. <laughs> Get what you need when you need yeah. it, when you're ready for it, I guess. Yep. Wow. Okay. And so, so after that, how did you start getting into this, you know, bioenergetic healing and Qigong and Chinese medicine? Yeah. So uh, again, very similar. So I had been doing these psychedelic drugs and uh, I was basically experiencing like the chakras or the energy centers or the Dantians, basically exactly as they were laid out in those Eastern classics, I was experiencing on psychedelics before I was psychotic. And then while I was psychotic, but I was just kind of permanently, it was like I was on a psychedelic and when, when I'd relax, I'd have these chakras and things open. And so I was experiencing those uh, oftentimes before I'd read anything about them. And uh, they went all the way up to like 2012. It was like five years later, I was still having these experiences. I would come out of meditation or things like that. And then I'd go read a book and be like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what they said would happen. So that was sort of happening to me. Uh, and that's what that got me interested in the chakras. And then I was reading about yoga and then, uh, my mom was actually getting into yoga and she's like, you should come to a yoga class. She thought it would get for me. And I went to a yoga class and fell in love with it because this, that was the first like physical thing I'd been introduced to. And before that, it hadn't occurred to me whatsoever that anything physical would affect my mind, not diet, not movement, not sweating, not anything. I just thought, oh, the mind fixes the mind. So I'm going to meditate, right? Because that's a mind thing and I have a mind problem. 
But when I did my first yoga class, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've been relaxed in like two years. Where do I get more of this? So I got like instantly addicted to yoga, like really physical, like power yoga, like, you know, use your muscles, mm -hmm. move your body kind of stuff. And, you know, you can really feel how doing the practice like opens up the body's energy. And so I just kept that curiosity going. And, um, and gosh, it was like four years of this, four years of like meditation and yoga before I like realized, oh, I wonder if what I'm eating has like any effect on my brain or anything like that. I didn't put it together at all. I was, uh, I was literally eating fast food three meals a day for four years while being a practicing Man. like Buddhist meditator and like serious yoga <laughs> practitioner. Kudos uh, to you. <laughs> you know, that was a lot of. That was a lot of focus in the mind yeah. <laughs> moving through that. Literally, yeah. Wow. McDonald's and KFC and everything every day. And I think it was like, literally, I like reconnect with an old friend and he's like, hey, have you heard of this acid alkaline thing? And I was like, what is that? And, and I started reading. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I never even connected the dots at all that like my skin problems, my eczema, my mental health problems, all this stuff could have anything to do with what I was eating. Looking back, it's like, I, I have no idea how that was not even on my radar at all. Like, it's, isn't that weird to not connect that at all? And maybe you're just like <laughs> one at a time, you know, you're just like, <laughs> really, you chose yeah. a path of like, I'm really going to figure each piece out one at a time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it just didn't even occur to me that it could be possible. And I, and I still get surprised to this day. I'll like, I'll post on TikTok something about how, you know, diet can affect depression or this or that. And I constantly get somebody in my comments just like so mad at me that I would suggest such a thing. Really? Because they, they really think I'm like just some kind of quack, like trying to lead people off their medications or something. I never tell people to quit their meds on my thing. I just give suggestions for other stuff they could do alongside it. But people are constantly like, you're going to trick people into thinking if they eat kale, they're going to be able to go off their meds. <laughs> I'm like, where did you hear me say that? There's a lot of triggers in that world. Like if someone's oh, yeah. in pain, it can be easy to want to point fingers. Yeah. Um, there's a really good audio book I listened to. I'm trying to remember the name of it, about a psychiatrist and a chef and she it's all about the gut brain connection oh is it um kelly brogan kelly brogan she's indian oh, so okay, probably no. not but i mean that's good there's many books on this topic because there should yeah. be because it's so huge like yeah you know she, she talks to there how you can't if you've had a mental condition for a long time it's highly likely there's also something going on in the gut and you can't treat one without treating the other like you need to look at them holistically yeah. and i've noticed that on my health journey like if i eat the wrong thing my body's very responsive. It gives me a lot of feedback <laughs> within minutes. I, I know with my mood, if I, if it was right or not. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. Blessing and a curse. Sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you just, you, there's not a lot of wiggle room to keep messing up. If you know better, <laughs> you is. just have to keep listening yeah. that motivating force. Right. Yeah. <laughs> with the psychedelics being a part of your journey, it's found that like personally, when I did ayahuasca, it was amazing and incredible and transformative. And then coming back and trying to integrate that was just a shit storm. Mm -hmm. And it was really a matter of like, okay, what are all the tools? What did everyone do before? Like the yoga, the qigong, the meditation. It's kind of like standing back on your own power of learning how to like get back to the place that the plants showed you, mm -hmm. but being able to do it on your yeah. own. I think a lot of people get lost where they just keep going back to the plants, back, 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 back. And they never, they never built, get some discipline in their life to kind of integrate and implement the stuff they learned and get a, get a lot of lost souls that way. It's true. Yeah. I know it, it can be really powerful with the right additional support and the will and like knowing that we're not powerless to start doing this stuff. You can feel you know, like you're lost when you just look at what Western medicine says and, you know, food diet has nothing to do with mental health. Like it can feel disheartening. Like, like there's no hope for you until you start actually trying things and believing that it's possible to heal, which you seem to have no problem doing. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into doing the Qigong? Qigong was a funny story. I was uh, cleaning toilets at a gym for a job and uh, there was an inspiring yeah. moment. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what is it? Chop, chop wood, carry water, I guess. But uh, I was like a, uh, I was halfway through my yoga teacher training. It was like split up over a year. And, uh, and so I'm just trying to make money while I'm going through it. <clears throat> and there was an acupuncturist slash Bago Zong teacher, so like a Chinese martial art, um, who was at the uh, gym op operating out of there. And he's like, oh, if you love yoga, like I, I bet you're going to love Qigong. And he sent me a, a YouTube video of this guy named Lee Holden. Do you know him from the Qigong world? 
I don't know him, though. Okay, well, I was going to say, he's the most famous name in Qigong. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah, he, he got famous because his DVDs got onto PBS television. For, so it's not anymore because oh, TV exercise stuff isn't really a thing anymore. But he was on PBS yeah. all over the country for a while. But uh, anyway, so, so it was like a little seven-minute Qigong routine of just like really gentle, like flowing, slow-motion exercises that you link with your breath, also very slow. And I tried it, and... Uh, I just couldn't believe like how like just seven minutes of that made me feel so, so relaxed. Like mm. I've been doing a, a long time of yoga and meditation and things like that. And I was like, wow, that is the quickest path I've ever taken to being super relaxed and no anxiety. And, and I went to bed after that and my whole body just felt like it was made of cotton. And uh, actually at the time I had a, a this giant wart on the bottom of my foot. It was like enormous. It was super deep. I had it for like four years and I went to the doctors over and over again. They cut it off. They froze it off. They burned it off. They medicated it. And it just kept coming back. And as I'm laying there in bed, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can make this wart go away with this cottony energy I'm feeling. So I just kept sending my breath and my attention. And eventually this energy starts going to my foot where this wart is. And uh, my foot just starts kind of like buzzing with that energy. And I kind of fall asleep while I'm doing this. But when I wake up, this wart is just, it's not only gone, it's so gone, it looked like it was never there. Like the skin on the bottom of my foot. Overnight. Yeah, like completely regrown and uh, never came back. (laughs) That's that's, that's miraculous. (laughs) But uh, I later learned from Dr. Andrew Weil, who's, uh, I don't know if you know him, but he's kind of famous for, um, he's a real MD, but he he kind of makes his fame off of talking about, you know, holistic stuff and mind-body medicine and he said that the like number one illness that <clears throat> tends to respond best to like mind medicine, like healing something with your awareness or placebo or attention or visualization is warts. I have no idea why, but he says that's like the most responsive illness to that. Huh. Yeah. That's so physical. I know. Yeah. That's great evidence. Like aside from feeling fantastic, here's some materialist evidence that yeah. <laughs> you changed something on your body yeah. overnight. I know. So anyway, so I was hooked just because it felt so good. And, and also I, I've always been like a big, like nature guy. So, um, I love that, you know, it was all, all the movements are like the bear swims in the ocean and like the cranes mm-hmm. uh, spreads its feathers and stuff like that. So I thought it was really cool. So I got into it and I was, I was just finishing up my yoga teacher training. So when I went back and I had to teach like an exam, like teach the, like a little class to the classes, like part of graduating. And so I brought in some of those Qigong moves into it and everybody loved it and, and so I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then uh, <clears throat> when I got back from the yoga teacher training, I'd actually like overstretched a whole bunch of my connective tissues. So like while I was going through the second half of this training, like every forward fold I did felt like someone was just sawing off my hamstrings. And <laughs> oh, I've been there. That's not yeah, so I, like, it's hard. The trainings are intensive. It's a lot of yoga to do all at once. It's like you're literally doing like four hours of intense yoga a day. It's too much for the body. It's too much to kind of pack it all in like that, I think. But also, you know, I had a good teacher and he's like, like the main thing he was trying to teach this whole time was like, you know, listen to your body, don't listen to the instructions, listen to your body, like take a break if you need to, back off if you need to. I didn't listen at all because I'm I'm like 22 and I'm like the only guy in a room full of like 25 beautiful women. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy (laughs) sitting out. Like I'm trying to show off all the time. I just kept pushing through it. Even though I felt like I was just getting ligaments sawed off. And by the time I finished the training, I... I'm like, man, it just hurts every time I do yoga. So I go, I go to physical therapy and the physical therapist is like moving me around. Like, does this hurt? Does that hurt? I'm like, no. He's like, you don't have any pain. I'm like, well, I just have pain when I do yoga. So can you fix that? And he's like, oh, how about you just don't do yoga for a while? <laughs> and I was like, I just paid. I just, I, I literally dropped out of college and spent the tuition money, my last tuition money for wow. college on a yoga teacher training. So like every, I invested everything in this thing. And now I couldn't wow. even do yoga, let alone teach it. And I actually had some classes lined up to teach. And so instead of bailing on them, I was like, well, I, for whatever reason, I can't do yoga, but I can do Qigong. Even the stretching parts of Qigong I could do without the pain because it's just like a, it's a this different style of stretching that involves like fluid movement while you're stretching and stuff. For whatever reason, that didn't aggravate things. So I just started teaching. I call it Chinese yoga. And that way I could still teach those classes. <laughs> People weren't too disappointed. Yeah, it's amazing how much can happen with such a gentle approach. Something I love about Qigong is that it is so gentle, like yeah. all ages, all abilities. You can do it sitting down, you can do it lying down, you can do it in your mind. Yeah, <laughs> it Very all <true>. helps. <laughs> it makes me think of like the, the grasshopper or locust situation where, you know, even though yoga is good for you, if you do it, push it to a point, 
and create stress, it starts becoming bad for you. Yeah. But I've never found that with Qigong, where it's gotten to a point where it creates stress. Unless yeah. I'm moving through a block, and then it's and I feel amazing a few minutes later. But yeah, the only side of bad side effect I've gotten with Qigong, or a couple, sometimes it can aggravate the knees if you misalign things. It's actually mm. it's kind of like ten, el, uh, tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. You get uh, Qigong mm-hmm. and Tai Chi knee. <clears throat> that's that's usually from just kind of standing the wrong way and stuff. Um, and the other one is more energetic, uh, where like it comes from like using too much mental effort while you're doing qigong. So a lot of people get like really obsessed with the visualizing part of it. It's like there's all these cool mm-hmm. visualizations. Imagine this light going here and that light going there. And, oh, you're in a mountain and now there's birds. <laughs> and uh, so they get really like hooked on this idea that like I'm gonna control the qi with my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And what they what they don't realize this does or what it'll often do is like let's say you're trying to move the qi to your lower abdomen. Well, if your mind, all the effort is coming from your head, from your mind trying to direct the chi, the chi is actually going to go to your head to give energy to that mental effort. And so I would, uh, I had this period for like a year where I couldn't figure out what was going on. I'd be doing qigong. I thought I was doing everything right. But at the end of practice, I'd have all this pressure in my head and it'd give me brain fog and I'd wind up getting really angry and, uh, easily irritable and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, what's going on? What happened to my qigong practice? And Eventually, I learned that mm-hmm. trying to force things too much mentally. Do you find, because you teach Qigong, mm-hmm. do you find that happens a lot with your students? Is that a common thing for uh, West, us Western people, <laughs> big thinkers? I think it happens a lot in the Qigong world, but not really with my students because I really discourage it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go from from that to what you're doing now? Like, How did you feel called to start sharing this with people? I'm just, I'm just kind of a know-it-all. I think <laughs> when I learn new things, I just want to tell everybody. So I could either tell all my friends and family and annoy them, um, and and not get, <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting paid, and they're just being annoyed all the time because they don't want to listen to me. Or I could find people who want to hear what I have to say and they want to give me money, and then it's, everybody's happy. So so fulfilling. Yeah. Hey, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, you know, desire to help the world, blah blah blah, all that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It all kind of goes together, yeah. right? Whatever motivates. Yeah. Um, and did you ever find that, like, I mean, for you, it doesn't, I mean, for me anyway, I found that as I've been on this kind of shamanic healing path and with Qigong, there's like this little part of the back of my mind that's like, you can't really remove it. Like for you, obviously mm-hmm. you did. But like for me, mm-hmm. if I had a ward on my toe, my mom would be like, you need to go get some sort of hard chemicals to put on that thing. Yeah. Because energy is not going to move that. Look how, look how dense and physical that matter is. Like, do you find that? that's something that you ever had to overcome or do you find that in your students of moving through that sense of doubt that can come up? (sighs) Definitely uh, the students. I think I've got a weird personality trait where when somebody, when I, when somebody says something's impossible, it makes me like, just want to do it more. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a good trait to have. (laughs) Uh, So I I feel like that's helped me a lot, but I do, I run into it. Not, a ton with students. Oh, well, kind of with students too, actually. There's always something. They believe until an extent, you know? Um, and then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, you can't do anything about that with nutrition, you know? It's like, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, now that I have cancer, I'm going to stop coming to Qigong class because I need to go to chemo all the time. And it's like, well, why don't you do yeah. both? Like, <laughs> it's like, well, cancer is yeah, obviously yeah. too serious for Qigong. So that's <laughs> so that, that yeah. kind of stuff happens with covid it happened a lot you know just people just don't want to hear any even people who've been doing my qigong for ages like they don't really want to hear like that it's like qigong could be helpful or there's dietary things that could be helpful because they're in my class for maybe an hour a couple times a week but then they're watching the news like you know six hours a week and so it's just you're kind of you're competing you're competing with a lot you know with everything I teach, I, re- I always try to be like, you know, like, I, I don't want to take full responsibility for you dying of cancer or something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you to stop doing chemo or something. Like, I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know everything about like how chemo works or how effective it is. But I know that like, there's other stuff that also helps. And so when it comes to mental health, especially like, I always try to be like, like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you to stop taking your meds, like work with your doctor. If you feel like, you know, doing Qigong or fixing your diet or something, has given you a little more foundation where you feel a little more stable and you want to think of talk about weaning off your meds, like go to your doctor and talk to them about weaning off the meds. Tell them you feel more stable. You don't have to tell them why, because if you tell them it's Qigong, they're going to think it's a bunch of BS and they won't listen to you. But if you're telling them, oh, you're so much more stable, you want to experiment, 
we want to work with them, then they're usually like happy to help you out with that. But I never want to be, I never want to be the guy to tell people don't do this or don't do that. But uh, people, people do have a lot of limitations where uh, they really think like, oh, like what does food have to do with your brain? Your brain's obviously in a capsule outside your body on another planet somewhere and everything you eat. <laughs> it's, it's not like it goes into your bloodstream and like affects your brain and builds your brain and builds all the chemicals in your brain. <laughs> not at all that's, like that's, that. That's, no. that's, that's always, I, I always find it funny running into people's uh, closed minds about that. stuff. I think it's, I mean, it sounds like you've got a really grounded approach where you understand a lot of the scientists who had this sort of like a blend of it sounds like Western and Eastern medicine. So you can kind of speak to it what's actually going on from that materialist perspective, but also speak to that deeper energetic layer, what needs to happen. I feel like if you can say, okay, oh, here's what's happening to your brain right now and explain it in a way that is relatable to what we're used to hearing from scientists <laughs> and doctors, but also be able to add the other yeah. dimension, I feel like that can really open up worlds for people. You know, for me, I'm, I'm very much like, I'm woo, abstract. Like I, I feel and experience that way. Um, I'm not an encyclopedia of facts. So if people want that, I'm just like, you got to go right. see somebody else. <laughs> I can't help you with that. Yeah. But it's really <laughs> helpful for kind of opening up minds to the possibility of this being something that, you know, really does things. Yeah. Actually, have you heard of, um, there's a French woman shaman named uh, Corinne something. who's like a Mongolian. She trained in Mongolian shamanism. I need to look into more people, Nick. I have not heard of most people. <laughs> but tell me about her. I don't, I don't think she's well known. But um, yeah, she was a French woman. I think she was, I don't remember what she was studying. She was like an anthropologist or something. And she went to do her PhD by living with uh, the shamans in Mongolia cool. and studying them. And, and as soon as she got there, as soon as she went to her first ceremony, and as soon as the shaman starts hitting the drum, she falls onto the floor having seizures mm. and uh, goes into a shamanic trance. Mm -hmm. So the shamans were like, uh, you're actually not here to study us. You're actually here to become a shaman, just so you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they trained her for like eight years or wow. something. And and uh, when she came back, she had all this like scientific training. And so she wanted to kind of bridge the gap. And she wound up taking a bunch of shamans from Mongolia and a bunch of schizophrenics from France mm. And put them in MRI machines to scan their brains while they're in a shamanic trance or having a psychotic break. Mm. And when she showed these scans to neuroscientists, they couldn't tell the difference between the brain of a schizophrenic patient and the brain of a shaman in a trance. Mm -hmm. that is, I think that's amazing, <laughs> but it also doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all, yeah. yeah. That's so fascinating. What's <clears throat> this woman's name? Sorry. I know her first name is Corinne, C-O-R-I-N-E. If you take like Corinne, Mongolian, French shaman or something. Yeah, I'll see if I can find her. <clears throat> That's so fascinating. And um, and it kind of lines up too with like that shamanic view of mental illness, being a healer trying to be born. It's like if you, oh, yeah. you just, your mind's open and you have this ability to sense what's going on around you, it's like, okay, let's just clear the lens through which you're seeing it. Is it through pain, trauma, yeah. and, and darkness and attachments to that? or fear or is it through you know the light that you are and the light around you and you know your experiences without those past stories totally i think uh jo joseph campbell have you heard of joseph campbell oh yeah yeah that is one okay. i've heard of <laughs> we found, very, we found fond, one. <laughs> very fond of joseph campbell <laughs> yeah uh, you probably know he's saying uh the the what is it the, the schizophrenic or maybe the psychotic i don't remember which one he says but the psychotic or schizophrenic drowns in the same water that the shaman or the mm, mystic swims I, I, have, I have read that that's a beautiful quote and yeah. it encapsulates what we've been talking about so well i think so if, if there's people out there who are struggling with their mental health what would you want them to know it's uh it's gonna be really really hard there's it's gonna take a long time it's gonna take you people listening less time than it took me <laughs> Because <laughs> me, it was like 10 years of like, before I really felt like, okay, I've like pretty much overcome this stuff. I can live a normal life, quotation marks. Um, but it's going to take you guys less time because you've found people uh, like us here. Mm -hmm. um, we've kind of like went through a lot of this and helped a lot of people with this. I spent a long time. I was just reading books, um, watching DVDs. Like I never really talked to anybody who knew what they were talking about for the first probably like six years um of going through this i was just doing it all on my own basically the only people i really talked to were like psychiatrists um so make use if you can get like if you can talk one-on-one -on -one, um with somebody uh you should really do so because mm -hmm. it can really it's just really gonna take you a lot further a lot quicker than trying to do it on your own especially when you're suffering from mental health problems what's 
the thing that's wrong is like your mind is mind isn't like working optimally. So trying to figure everything out on your own can take even longer than because, you know, it's a little harder to use your own intuition and use your own guidance. And it's just, it's really nice to just have a team of support um, and people that can help you out on pro maybe on both sides, you know, <laughs> of the East West divide. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's going to level you up really quick. There's nothing I can really tell you to do action wise, like, Oh, eat this diet or, eat, you know, do this. It's, you're going to find what works for you. Like, so just, well, one, one thing I'll say is that <clears throat> a big thing that's um, in like the Taoist, uh, like Chinese medicine world, um, like a, a, a perspective on healing, what, like one lens that they'll sometimes look through is if there's something wrong with your mind, focus on healing your body. And if there's something wrong with your body, focus on healing your mind and spirit. And it doesn't always have to look like that, but sometimes that's just a little easier way to go about it is, you know, your mind's having all this trouble. So really leaning on your mind's abilities for your healing can sometimes be, mm. um, it's not as like reliable, right? So mm -hmm. going to your body, doing yoga and eating better and taking herbs and things like mm -hmm. that um, can sometimes be a little, you can get a, more of a foothold there. And then once you have that little more foundation <clears throat> of your body supporting your mind then bring in more mental stuff, spiritual stuff, things like that can be very useful. Beautiful. Um, I like that perspective too. It's like, okay, my mind's not working great, but I've still got this body. How can I use that yeah. to help this part that's not running? Whereas often we'll yeah. jump into like, all right, I'm going to jump into the painful part and navigate stuff within that spot. <laughs> like, yeah. And especially if you're trying to do it by yourself. Yeah, it is hard. Yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a huge believer of having a team of support. It's helped me so much in my life. And I will probably work with other healers, guides and coaches for the rest of my life, as well as yeah. like, you know, the Chinese medicine doctors for the body and the Western medicine doctors for, you know, a handful of things. But yeah, yeah having that. And a lot of spiritual healing just comes from the feeling of being supported 100%. by people, even if despite the advice they gave you. Yeah. <clears throat> for me, getting like my Qigong teacher became like my number one mentor mm -hmm. throughout, still to this point in my life, he's like my number one mentor. And that was like, that filled in a huge like healing gap in me. I had a very cold, distant father who, you know, I didn't really ever experience like the like warm, loving, mm -hmm. supportive energy from a man. And, when I got that from my Qigong teacher, it was like, it like filled a hole in my heart. And uh, mm. um, that was, that felt like a big part of my healing process besides him just teaching me cool stuff. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> and so much of that is just getting that nourishment that we need, you know, coming into the world, love, acceptance, belonging, community. Yeah. 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 It doesn't have to come from your parents. <laughs> Otherwise you can yep. find that. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually studies on that. A lot of, People will talk about how, you know, having like homes without fathers present can be really bad, especially for young boys growing up. Mm -hmm. But if you really like kind of look into the data, <clears throat> it's actually communities without fathers. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter that much if you're home specifically as a father. But if the community has no like nurturing, supportive, protective, caring men mm -hmm. who will be, just play the father role, regardless of their you know, biological status with you or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that has the same positive effects. That's so interesting. That's so good to know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. We're such social creatures. We are. Yeah. Um, so for people <clears throat> wanting to work with you, how would they go about doing that? What kind of stuff do you do with people? <laughs> yeah. So the easiest way to jump in with me is just to go to YouTube. I got tons of Qigong routines and um, a lot of them are like themed towards like something you might be going through. So I have like you know, Qigong for anxiety, Qigong for depression, Qigong for neck pain, low back pain, just all kinds of stuff like that. So that's the easiest way to jump in and see if, you know, my kind of style of movement and breath and everything therapy is helpful for you. Um, <clears throat> and then if you want to uh, work with me one-on-one, -on -one, if you go to my website, um, I believe there's a coaching tab or something like that there. So you can, you can work with me one-on-one -on -one there. And then, uh, yeah, other than that, yeah, I, I post lots of advice and stuff on TikTok and Instagram and things like that. You can just follow me there and see that kind of stuff. Oh, actually, uh, I totally forgot. This is the thing that's totally relevant yeah. to everything we just talked about. <laughs> I just, I just, I just made an e-course called the Seven Day Brain Reset, and it's kind of putting together a lot of the tools I just talked about, um, mm -hmm. some nutrition stuff and qigong, and it's just kind of all. It's like it's meant to be done as like a seven day thing. You just try it for a week and just see if you feel better. Does this particular diet philosophy that I'm advocating and this particular movement and breath philosophy I'm advocating does that actually 
work for your particular system. I'm sure it doesn't work for everybody, but you just give it a try for seven days. Most, most people, it's not going to kill you. And uh, so if you feel better, then you might want to you know, keep exploring that sort of philosophy. If not, you move on, but it's only like 20 bucks. So that's amazing. I think, uh, I think I gave it to you for the show notes. So the link should be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll include all the links in the show notes. Um, I'm so glad that you're offering that because as someone who comes from very much like the deep spiritual abstract world, that's my zone of genius. And I saw that you're doing all this stuff and like, this is perfect. So <laughs> everyone oh, yeah. go and do Nick stuff. It is going to help you tremendously yeah. and will help you with all kinds of other work too. We'll make an e-course in the future together. That'd be yeah. fun. <laughs> two, two wings on that bird. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That'd be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, keep doing what you're doing and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mind Body Free podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nick. As much as I did, it was really interesting hearing his journey. Uh, he's been through so much and it was so self guided, which is incredible. But like he said, if you're going through similar challenges, know that you're not alone and that there are people who can help you with that. So reach out to Nick or myself. You can find all of his links in the show notes. It's incredible what he's turned that into, into this place of healing others. And it's often the, this path that we go on through massive challenge and pain to then get to the other side of learning how to heal ourselves and by extension, helping other people heal. So if you have questions about this show or others, you reach out to me at mindbodyfree.com or instagram or facebook at your mind body free and really i encourage you to go check out nick on youtube um, nick lawfrey on youtube he's got so many incredible free resources there he's very generous with the content that he shares and i found that in doing qigong in conjunction with this other healing work if you're an energy healer if you're just looking to heal yourself or looking to connect more with your intuitive gifts qigong is going to be so so helpful for helping you feel really good in your body helping you to tune in with a more subtle world and tune in with your intuitive gifts and as an energy worker if you do that or feel called to move into that it's going to be a tremendous help to keep yourself strong and stable while helping others as well as help you feel into more sensitive more subtle things going on in people's energy fields so go check out nick go do some qigong go get yourself all healthy and good and if you need any help reach out um, help is here for you. Okay. Sending you my love and talk next time.